according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience of Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in result to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. What up, y'all? Beloved, we good? Yeah, good, good. Hey, you are beloved by me, and far more importantly, oh, look at that. Watch this. Boom, look at that. Hey, far more importantly, you are beloved by God. Uh, this stand does not love me, though, but watch this. We there. All right, all right. Hey, we ready? Good, good. Hey, look, I'm excited to jump into this series with y'all, and uh, I'm not going to front. I had to work really hard on shortening my sermon multiple times. I was actually getting upset by the number of times I had to shorten it, uh, and so we jumping into this 120 miles per hour. Cool? All right, like seatbelts on, you ready? Ain't no kiddie pool, y'all. We jumping right in, all right? And so this book is fire, y'all. Fire! All right? And I want us to be able to really get into the meat of it. And so uh, in many ways, what this sermon is going to do is it's going to tee up our series at large because Peter, what he talks about in this first section, he kind of gives a large overview and then he goes through each section and kind of exposits that from here on out. And so we'll break things down a little bit today, give more of an overview, and then we'll dive deeper into them throughout the series. And uh, the reason that we're doing this series is we felt like it would be a really good bridge series. Uh, It is a bridging from last year, which was an awkward year for us in a lot of ways, into more regular rhythms, uh, though we don't even really have a home as a church yet. We're still looking for a home, which you can continue to pray for. We want to find the space that we can call ours, that we can meet in the mornings again, hallelujah, praise God, okay, Uh, and that we can be able to build together and even be on the right side of the city where we want to plant churches up and down uh, the 35 corridor and be able to do what God is calling us to do. And so we feel like this can bridge us in a lot of ways. We feel like this is a bridge series from healing to mission, which we talked about healing a lot in our last one, and we want to recover, but we also want to fulfill the things that God has given to us and called us to do as individuals and as a church family. 
I feel like this will bridge us relationally where we remember who we are, we remember where we are going. I think it will be a bridge with personal suffering even where Peter does not deny suffering. He actually uses the word uh, 16 times out of the 92 times the whole New Testament uses this in just this short five chapter book. And so he doesn't deny suffering but Peter also isn't suffering without hope. He says that our suffering should be meaningful, that there's reason behind it, and we should adopt this understanding to be able to endure it well. I think it's a bridge for how we handle uh, this chaotic culture that we find ourselves in, where we are in the world, but not of the world. And we could go on and on and on, but I believe that Peter is a bridge in a lot of ways. And so as an elder team, that's what we wanted to pray for, was that this would be a bridge series, kind of bridging us from the past and into the future, while we really exalt uh, Christ and live in exile in the world around us. And in a lot of ways, as a church family, as we are relearning or recreating or reestablishing our identity as a church or even discovering some of our new identity and what God is calling us into in this next season and, and kind of creating within us, we're doing all of this once again without a home. We're in a foreign land, if you will, and we're beginning to rebuild in that way as well. And so this book offers all of these bridges and all of these uh, kind of connections between the past and the future, and that's true corporately for us as a body and individually for you as well. And I want us to realize the exile status that a lot of us find ourselves in, whether it be personally or once again corporately as a church. And I want you to know very clearly that God does some of his biggest miracles while his people are in exile. Don't sleep on that one, right? And so if you feel that in your soul, know that God may be on the move for he has shown himself really beautifully in those seasons. And so we anticipate God to move in our lives and in the life of our church throughout this series. Cool? All right, I had to shorten my sermon 80 times, so I'm gonna try to stay right here today, okay? And if I end up way over there, the end of part of my sermon, and somebody just go, help him, Lord, all right? <laughs> Here we go. Y'all ready? This book starts off with Peter. That's the first word there. Uh, Y'all know him, right? Peter, all right? Loudmouth dude. Y'all remember him? I'm telling you, if I was a disciple, me and Peter would have thrown hands, y'all. Straight up, y'all. Like, I'm just saying, okay? Well, Peter, he's totally transformed. This was actually written about 30 years after Christ's ascension, and my man's has been transformed by the gospel. Because listen, Peter, he walked with Jesus, and then he denied Jesus, but he ended up so attached to Christ that he decided to be crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that his Lord was. That's how attached Peter was to this Jesus. In other words, just because you may be struggling in your faith a little bit today, don't think you're whack, yo. Right? Don't count yourself out before God does. Peter struggled early too, and as you'll see throughout this letter, because he held on and because he clung fast, this man knew Jesus more than most of us could ever dream of. And so there's not just hope for you, friend, if you're struggling in your faith, there's actually vision and mission and transformation and great reward if you endure. 
Peter, he's writing to the elect exiles there. There should be a slide for that too. Yeah, there you go. And so Peter here, the elect exiles, there's several things that's important throughout this whole letter. First of all, Peter's main message throughout this book is that this earth is not your home. So that exile idea is really important. Don't get too comfortable here because you do not belong here. You have a higher and a better citizenship. Think about that word exile, or we would use the word like a foreigner, or the Bible uses the word alien or stranger at times, or immigrant is another language that we would use in our current culture. Oftentimes when you have an immigrant status, you don't necessarily have the greatest uh, situation, circumstance, privileges that are laid out in front of you. It is hard to live in a land as an immigrant because you often don't have the same privileges and there's even little things like you don't have the same culture, therefore something as simple as being able to enjoy a joke is difficult to do because you don't understand that culture, you're not a part of it, that land does not fully feel like your home, even if you've been there for a long time. And for the Christian, we are in the same boat. This land, this earth is not our home. At the same time, foreigners, they often have these different values from the culture that they might find themselves in. And a lot of times those values are really beautiful and really good. And they don't want to lose the cultural uh, implications that God has placed on their life to be able to live out their identity as people of God, as his creation. They don't want to assimilate into the culture and lose all of the good of their original culture or status. And this is true for Christians as well. For example, the world values success and we value faithfulness. We are very different between the two. We are not like the world. And so do not assimilate into the world and lose the culture that is yours in Christ. Y'all tracking with that? This is part of the problem right now of Christians, for example, even in something like politics. Christians, they keep trying to get in bed with various political parties and, and social groups and wonder why the babies they're conceiving through that impregnation is birthing division and discord. Shoot. That was, all right, let me stay here, okay? Ready? Look, y'all, we different is what I'm saying, Okay. We have a more holistic vision. We have a better mission that is in front of us. We do have some of the same values at times, even as the world around us, but we are not the same. And a lot of our values and culture is different. Help me, Lord. I'm on the second word, okay? And so Peter, what he's doing here is he's introducing these uh, three identities that he'll carry throughout the letter. That second identity is what I just talked about. It's towards the world. You live as exiles. You do not really belong here. But the first identity is actually towards God. And towards God, we are beloved by God. And God is our beloved as well. Peter does this beautiful thing here with elect exiles. And I need y'all to track with me for a moment because it actually sets up the letter really well. Throughout the first several sections, Peter is showing us how we relate to God and how God relates to us. And so Peter, what he does is he uses all these Old Testament ideas to display how we as the people of God are receiving the 
same or even greater benefits and positions and statuses than even the Old Testament saints. However, the interesting thing is that Peter is not writing to Jews, he's actually writing to Gentiles, meaning the things that Peter is about to say should not be true of the people that he is writing to because they were not originally the chosen people of God, and yet because of the mercy of God and the blood of Jesus, we are now welcomed into the family of God and get these beautiful privileges because of the mercy of Christ. And so track with me here. We've already hit on three of the words. You saw them on the screen, right? The elect is one of the ideas, and Peter calls the Jewish people, particularly Abraham, that in Genesis 18, verse 19. Exiles is what he prophesies over Israel in Genesis 23, verse 3. The diaspora is the scattered people of God. We see that over Abraham and Moses and over the Israelites in Egypt. In other words, we as the church were in entering into something that God started long ago with the same privilege and position and status as these saints. So God sees you like he saw Israel. God sees you like he saw Moses. God sees you like he saw Abraham with affection and with love and with care. Mm -mm, No, I need Elisa. Mm, There. Y'all hear that? Right? God sees you like he sees Abraham. You are special to God. He's given you the same status as this man. He goes throughout this letter, and he says to set our minds for action, he says, in verse 13. And what he's doing there is he's quoting um, Exodus uh, chapter 12, verse 11, where he tells those Jewish people as well to set their minds for the exodus that is coming. And what Peter says to us in verse 12 is, there's a new exodus about to come. You see, you do not belong here, and I'm going to deliver you into the promised land called the kingdom forever. There's a new exodus that we get to be a part of. We're the holy people of God, verses 15 and 16 says, which is true in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 of Israel. We have a better past Passover lamb, as we see in Exodus 12 through 15, there's a new covenant that Jeremiah 31 talks about. We're the new temple of God. We're the new kingdom of priests. And each of those will cover a little bit more as we get into it. But essentially, do you know the type of inheritance that you are walking into, Christian? Do you know the type of power, the type of privilege, the type of status, the the family that God is calling you into as the family of God? Do you know the legacy, the authority, the the power, the, the honor, the beauty, the glory, the mystery? What do we deserve in a relationship with God as Gentiles? Nothing. Yet if you are in Christ, I guarantee you that what God has for you is more than you thought with a bigger calling than you can ever dream over your own life. God calls you special. And that's what Peter wants us to see throughout this whole book. You are not just walking Christianity in something personal only. You are actually legacying in something historic, y'all. My, 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 come on. And importantly, y'all, Peter, once again, he's writing this to the Gentiles with this great affection. The third identity that Peter kind of carries throughout this whole letter is towards Christians, we actually see them as family now. 
Now, this is very different than Peter holistically, okay? Because Peter, in Galatians chapter 2, was actually so racist early on in his identity that he would no longer identify himself with the Gentiles because he was afraid of what the Jewish people would think about him. And so he was making the Galatians feel like these exiles, these outcasts, like they were not a part of the family of God. But now look at verse 2 where in that chapter, Peter is actually writing to Galatia. Peter is literally writing to the Galatian people. He's so pastoral and he's so affectionate throughout this letter. And so don't tell me that the gospel cannot change lives and bring reconciliation, y'all. The gospel does a powerful, powerful work. And now Peter, who was once isolated from these uh, Gentile people, now has all of this affection and care for those people of God. And he has this heart for diversity because he sees God establishing this multi-ethnic bride and he gains a heart for it, which is one of our hearts as well. The gospel has transformed this man. And Peter is a totally different man than we saw early on as a disciple or even early on in his ministry. And so our relationship with God is called and loved. Our relationship with each other is affection. And our relationship towards the world is as strangers, not hostile towards the world. Okay, we're not anti the world. We just know that we're in the world, but we're not of it. And we're not surprised when they shame us for not being a part of their culture. We don't assimilate into their culture. We tell them to come and bring their burdens and their gifts and their joys into our culture because our culture is what will reign forever, y'all. The kingdom of God. Come on now. All right. Now listen, Peter, what he'll do is he'll actually unfold the later two thoughts throughout the series, the, the relationship with Christians and the relationship with the world. But today, he focuses just on the relationship with God. And I want us to note a couple of things. I want you to note how the whole Trinity has saved you. Now the first part of it is the blood of Jesus that saves us. And obviously the blood of Jesus is more than enough for the salvation of our souls. In fact, one drop of Jesus's pure blood can atone for and can cleanse the entire universe of all of the sins that it has ever committed. So what about when he pours out the whole flood over just you? If one drop of Jesus's blood can atone for all, what about when the whole flood is over your life, family of God? And you think your sin separates you? Right? You think that there's any part of you that is unredeemable? No, the blood of Jesus pours out over us. But not only do we see the blood of Jesus, but the entire Trinity, the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, they each have a part in your salvation. And so if the whole Trinitarian God, y'all, I want you to get this, is active in your salvation, then what makes you think that any part of you is unredeemable? Every single part of you can be redeemed by the mercy of God. You better testify, shoot, and preach that gospel over your soul, right? Okay, so look, the Father, he elects us is what that passage is. You can throw that back up on the screen, please. The, the Father elects us. He chooses us. He says, look, I want that one, and you come into the kingdom of God. The Spirit then sanctifies you and sets you apart. The Son atones for you and pours out his blood over you. The whole Trinity is active in our salvation. Karen Jobes, who's a professor and a commentator, and she has her doctorate in theology, and one of my favorite technical commentaries I've ever read. She writes this about 1 Peter. 
She says, Peter reminds his readers that the God who took initiative in their lives has drawn them into an intimate, loving, and redemption relationship with him. Now, keep that on the screen. It's important. He took the initiative, but he draws us in by his love. And so note, even in that text, you have a part to play in this as well. That text says you were saved for obedience is what verse 2 says. And so did God choose you? Yes, because dead people cannot choose to live. And you were dead in your sins. But did you respond and obey? Yes, if you are in Christ. And so God elects, the Spirit sanctifies, Christ saves, and we enter into this Trinitarian dance and follow. And we play out our obedience. And when we do this, we get grace and peace multiplied to us, is what it says there. Which is, he made an exegesis this past week. They reminded us that you can't multiply something by zero. In other words, grace and peace, they have to be there to begin with. But if you are in Christ, you have grace and peace, which means you exponentially get that more and more throughout your Christian life. And so then Peter, what he does here, y'all, is he follows verses 3 through 12, and he just straight up worships, y'all. That's how Peter begins as he's thinking about this Trinitarian God. There's all this beauty in the midst of this. Now, this section is actually a eulogy, which we usually use that phrase only in funerals, but all it means is you're saying something nice or good about someone. You're eulogizing them, saying there's something beautiful or good or honoring about this person. And so Peter, he uses, this is called a eulogy throughout this whole text. And Peter, he begins his letter by just doting on this God who saves. And what happens is, is this then sets pace for the whole rest of the letter. So verses 3 through 12 is really important for us to get. And this is important for us to understand that what he's doing here is doting on God. Now, really important, verse 3 through 12 is actually one sentence in the whole entire uh, Greek uh, original language. It's not uh, broken up by exclamation points and periods. It's just one really, really long sentence. It's like Peter's trying to squeeze everything he can think of about the glory of God into this one little idea here, okay? AKA, I don't never want to hear y'all anymore talk about how long my sentences be or how many commas I use. I'm just being biblical in this mug, shoot. Hallelujah, okay? And so what he does here is in verse 3, verse A, the first part, that's the main clause. And then everything else modifies that clause. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the main idea. And then from that point on, he's explaining why we should bless the Father. So why should we bless the Father? What is Peter's idea that will carry throughout this book? Well, he gives four overarching reasons why we should bless the Father. And the first reason in verses three through five is because God is worthy, y'all. God is worthy to be blessed and praised. Look, he begins, he says, because of his mercy, he has caused you to be born again. I love this understanding, y'all. Like, let me ask you a question. Where do you think I got my awesome athletic skills from? Y'all are like, dog, that took a hard turn, what? Like the glory of God, okay? But check with me, check with me, okay? Like why why am I this like caramel, coffee with a little bit of cream, good looking young brother in here, okay? What's going on, right? You get it from his mom, I'm just kidding. That's a ratchet song, don't go listen to that, okay? I get it from my parents, right? All of these little things I get from my mom and my dad. And so just as you and I and people in general receive their ethnic identity, they actually receive their citizenship, their socioeconomic class, their potentialities, their genetic makeup from their biological parents, Christians have been made sons and daughter through new birth. 
Okay, right? Like Peter, y'all, he's worshiping. We're going to have to worship today, okay? Like I might end up, wah, by the end of this sermon because this is good news, all right? Now listen, adoption, this is really true in Christ as well, and it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, and it gets us to think about the gospel in one way, which is awesome. But new birth is a whole other way to think about our sonship and our daughterhood in the kingdom. You have been born again, is what Peter says, meaning you have new identity, you have new citizenship, you have new class and potential and skills and gifts and DNA from your parents, God. All right, all right. Look, the Spirit dwells in you as evidence of that, y'all. Like, you have all of these beautiful things because of your new birth. And this new birth that gives us hope for today and glory for, for tomorrow. Look at the next words. He says it's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. My gosh, y'all. Right? Like, it's like he's trying to, like, create words to talk about this inheritance that we have. Your salvation, family, your eternal reward, your inheritance, it is untouched by death, it is unstained by evil, and it is unimpaired by time. This is good news. This is yours in Christ. And look, there's a hope there, is what he says. Not some future hope, but an alive hope even now and today. Because there's an assured hope here, because we do not worship a, oh God, I really wish this to be true, type of promise or type of God. No, we worship a surely resurrected Jesus that was made our hope secure by his resurrection, y'all. Our hope is alive. It is sure. You could put your money in the bank on that and live in confidence of that promise. Hallelujah to our God. And so your hope is not wishful thinking. It's an already purchased promise, y'all. It is already purchased for you. This is why Jesus is worthy of praise, Paul or Peter says. Not only because the inheritance is kept safe, which he talks about in verses three and four, but look, the heirs, you and I, we're also kept safe as well. Our faith or our salvation, God is the one guarding it, is what verse five tells us. Man, thank you, Spirit of God, because if it was up to you to guard your faith, that mug would get snatched up real quick. But it ain't up to you, it's up to God. Praise God for that truth, that he not only protects the inheritance, he protects you, his inheritance, and he guards you and guides you into the kingdom at large. Listen, immortality, it was not promised in that Roman culture, and Peter says, that's a lie. And immortality is not promised in our culture either. People are like, I don't know what happens to us after we die. Peter says, that's a lie. You can be sure that you will resurrect and live forever if your faith is in Jesus. And that is hallelujah good news, right? You do not have to fret because God is the one that is guarding it and God don't lose, y'all. God has never lost a day in his life, which means he ain't gonna lose you either, y'all. And we can go on and on, but why do we bless God the Father? Because God is worthy, is what Peter talks about. Secondly, he says we bless because suffering is not worthless. And so not only is God worthy, but our suffering isn't worthless either. These Christians, they weren't being killed for their faith yet, but they were experiencing this sporadic mistreatment and discouragement in their faith, very similar to us, actually. They were reminded that they don't fully belong in society, and yet God was calling them to bless this society, meaning their suffering was no longer meaningless, and because of this, they should bless God, is what Peter says. He tells them their faith is actually made sure through their suffering. I think Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor and an author, he says it best about uh, that verse six there. He says, pure gold put in the fire comes out proved pure. 
genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. Y'all get that? In other words, your faith is proved by you sustaining in the midst of your suffering because no one suffers for something they don't believe in, at least not for long. And so if you've been suffering and yet you persevere in the faith, you can be assured that God started a good work in you and will bring it to completion, and that should produce a joy and a worship to God in your hearts because your suffering showing you actually believe in this promise of God. Suffering's a really awkward gift in that moment then because it shows that we actually do believe. Do you want assurance? Stand fast through the trials and suffering, and then you can tell your soul, oh, no, I believe in this for real. And there could be a confidence into the kingdom. And so suffering also, like gold, God is likely removing the infirmities. And even better than gold, he's actually aiding and adding to your reward. And so we do not rejoice because we love to suffer. And we talk about that a lot as a church because I think that gets twisted in the culture. Like Christians are like, yay, suffering. Nobody does that, right? You will not suffer in the kingdom of God. You should not like to suffer, y'all. Because one day where we are going, there will be no more tear. And so we do not rejoice at suffering, but we rejoice in suffering because it's showing we truly believe and God is actually adding to our faith in the midst of our suffering. He's proving our faith and he's working in this righteousness. And so we bless God because the worst parts of our life, suffering, they have meaning now, y'all. And this is good news. Juan Sanchez, who is a pastor and an author, he's actually a pastor here in Austin, he says this about this passage. He says, the call to exuberant joy does not deny the reality of suffering. Ours is a joy that is sustainable and so sustains us in the midst of real grief. Nowhere does the Bible deny Christians grief and sadness. Instead, the Bible teaches us how to grieve and how to express sadness with hope. Many Psalms teach us to express our grief honestly while still clinging to hope. And this is what Peter is doing here as well. Another real quick caveat, y'all, that I want to hit on that's important is notice that there's actually reward in suffering, is what Peter says in that passage, which means it's not pointless. And I think this is a really interesting idea because often we think, oh, if I preach to all these people, or if I start this ministry, or if I lead X number of people to faith, then there's great reward and God is pleased with that. And that is true. There is reward for our faithfulness in Christ. But these Christians, Peter says, they receive a reward for enduring. Now, y'all must not have suffered like I suffered in my life, y'all. You receive a reward for enduring, is what this text says. If you're just faithful through the mockery of the world or the mockery of your own soul and heart that tries to get you to deny Christ, if you're faithful to share even through persecution, if you begin to experience the world starting to try to push back on your light as your light pushes back their darkness, Peter says there's actually a reward for that. And so if you are faithful, you can be assured that on that great day, you will hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I don't know about y'all, but that's good news, y'all. Meaning you don't got to share the gospel with a billion people to have your faith prove that it's good. Your very endurance proves it. And then as you look at that, you'll want nothing more than to share with a billion people anyway. Because you'll bless God the Father and you'll see where that faith comes from. Y'all tracking with that? Yeah? Okay, I was way off notes, okay? So saints endure, okay? Third point, all right? Uh, Peter goes on. The next reason that we bless God is the reason why we worship is because glory is coming, y'all. 
There's so much talk of revelation for Peter, the, the future coming of Jesus Christ, because Peter knows it will allow us to worship God and endure the suffering of this world. We know where we are going. In fact, in just this section, in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 7, and in verse 9, those will all be on the screen, but all of those display literally the coming of Jesus, and Peter is talking about how he will soon return, or the revelation of Christ or, or when he proves our faith or the inheritance that we will bring, Peter over and over tells us to focus on future glory. In fact, I want to zoom in on verse 9 there. It says that the goal of your faith is the salvation of your soul. That's really important, y'all. The goal of your faith is not just that you would be a better person. The goal of your faith is not just that you would believe. The goal of your faith is not just to have a better life now. The goal of your faith is the salvation of your soul, not just momentary bliss, but eternal soul delivery, y'all, a delivery into a new kingdom. And so we focus on glory that is coming because glory then produces joy because we realize what we were truly made for. And so Peter then, he tells us to rejoice with joy in that passage, which is really repetitive, by the way. Rejoy yourself with the joy of the Lord. And then he uses a word that's only used here in the Bible. He says that this joy is inexpressible, actually. In other words, it's, it's hard to explain. And I've seen this, family of God, and, and so have you if you have been in Christ, even if you've only seen it in fragmented moments. It's really impossible to explain the joy that you have in Christ. In fact, I would say you just have to receive it, experience it, and then walk in this because it's quite frankly impossible to explain, hence inexpressible, right? And so whenever the Bible does that, it's like, how do you want me to preach that? You just say it's inexpressible, right? <laughs> It's filled with glory is what he says, which is the presence of God. And so those small moments of worship where you experience the overwhelming presence of Christ, Peter says that that will be your eternal life, y'all. Ah, y'all better worship in this mug, right? Your whole life will be, that, that moment where you were in the scriptures and your brain like exploded and imploded at the same time, and that inexpressible joy, that will be your eternity forever. In fact, that will be the lowest that you'll ever feel in eternity because these moments are only shadows and fragments of the real thing. And so Peter says, look to the joy that is coming because this joy is inexpressible, y'all. It is filled with glory. Hallelujah. I'm ready to go to that joy right now, shoot, right? This world, it offers nothing in comparison, y'all. And so we endure the now knowing what is coming, y'all. You endure this world knowing the world that is to come. That's what Peter says. Peter's last reason that we give glory to God or we rejoice in God is because we are fulfilling mystery. And we should actually be really happy about this in the Lord. We're walking in something that the prophets desire to know about and the angels long to look into, y'all. And, and this is really beautiful. Peter says the prophets, they searched the scripture and they inquired of the spirit about the mystery of the Messiah. In other words, they were empowered by the Spirit, but guided by the Word. That's actually one of the well's distinctives that we want to carry out as a church family, to be empowered by the Spirit of God, but also guided by the Word of God. And so in the past, Peter says, the prophets spoke 
the spirit revealed, and they inquired of the times. But in the present, he says the evangelists, they preach or they proclaim, and the spirit then tells, and the angels actually desire to look into what is happening here. And so how great is this gospel? Why should we bless God? Well, the prophets of old, they long to know about it, and the angels of present, they long to fully understand it, and you and I receive it and are walking in it, y'all. That is a mystery of mysteries. You are privileged, Church of Christ. That's what Peter is trying to say. You are privileged historically, receiving more than the prophets could have even longed for, and you are also privileged cosmically, literally having a place that the angels desire and do not fully understand. The history that has been approaching Christ is longing to understand the mystery and the future that we are going into. The angels look and go, what is happening? Because they have not experienced grace like you have. They have not seen God be merciful to them the way that you and I have. We are walking in a mystery, and we are fulfilling that mystery. And Peter says, y'all know y'all don't deserve this. Because of this, you should bless God, and you should give glory to God the Father. And so all of these reasons, we should rejoice in glory in Christ, y'all. Despite what the alien status of the world is, we have an eternal status in the heavens. And so Peter, his main message is that you are not in this world anymore, but the main person for Peter is Jesus. You see, Peter's wildly Christ-centered. If you look in your Bibles, even how he introduces the Godhead, he says, the God and Father of Christ. Or in verse 10, he says, the Spirit of Jesus or of Christ. And so Peter refocuses everything around this person and work of Jesus because he loves this man. He understands who this man is and what he has done. So we also desire to be Christ-centered as a church to know who this man is and what he has done. in fact, in the first four verses, uh, Peter, or in the first three verses, he mentions four times how good Jesus is. And so there's all these gospel points throughout this passage at large. But I just want to keep it really simple today, y'all. Jesus died willingly that you might have life eternally. That's what the gospel is, and it's most simple, is that Jesus willingly laid down his life that you would get to know God and experience joy forever. And because of the death of Jesus, the three relational truths that to God you are beloved, and to the world you are exiles, and to Christians we are now family with one another, that is all because of the person and work of Jesus. But the four truths that we had on the screen of why we should worship God, all of those things find its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. You know, Jesus laid down his life that yours might be lifted up and he gave you purpose as he was nailed to that cross and because of this he is eternally worthy y'all and what you'll see in this letter is Peter can't help but go back to the gospel over and over and over and over again because Peter saw Jesus's death and he deeply believed in his mentor's resurrection He believed that that man rose again, and because of this, he gave his life for it. And then he calls us to believe in it and to give our life for it as well. And so throughout this letter, y'all, we'll we'll look at how we endure, and we'll look at how we suffer well, and we'll look at what God is doing here among us, and we'll hopefully bridge the last season and the next season and what God is doing with us as a family and as individuals, and hopefully even bridge us into a new home as a church family. Y'all can keep praying for that, all right? And we'll walk in all of this more more and more as a church. But the application for today, y'all, is really, really, really simple. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Like, man, if you have never thought about how costly this salvation was, how great this salvation was, the legacy that you are walking in, the power that fills you, man, if you never think about it, th thought about it, think about it, y'all. And bless the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy of worship. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy, all right? I'm excited for this series, and I pray that we would keep blessing God together. And let's apply that right now by blessing him in worship. Amen? Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, thank you uh, for all of this text. <laughs> yeah, you're really good to us, God. Gosh, we worship you. God, I know my heart can get stuck in the mundane. It can get stuck in the now. And it can even get stuck in the words of a sermon at times. And I, I don't allow myself to think about the bigger of what's really going on. That, God, you are in here with us. You are literally dwelling amongst us. You are pleased as we are listening to your word and desiring to align with it. And in a moment, worshiping you and communing with you. This brings you glory. This is part of our endurance even. And in our endurance, there is great reward, Peter says. We thank you for that, Christ. And so, God, I pray for those who do not know you, God. I pray that they would get to know you in this series. I pray that they would see that their souls have been purchased by the person and work of Christ and that they would find great deliverance in their Messiah. Friends, if you do not know Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus knows you. And he laid down his life that you may come into relationship with him. If you find the suffering of this world overwhelming, the gospel says that the suffering is no longer worthless. There's meaning in it. If you find your heart desiring to know God, Man, Peter says it's capable, possible because of Jesus. If you realize you're walking in this mystery, if, you're, if your very life is, is an anomaly or, or maybe God keeps saving you or delivering you or you see the presence of God, that's God trying to woo your heart to himself that you're a part of his great plan. Come into the kingdom, y'all. Come into the family of God. You simply confess and say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I wanna follow you. And you might not know what that looks like. Look, Peter, I know what that looked like. This man denied Jesus three times. And maybe you've been denying Jesus multiple times throughout your life. It's never too late to turn to him. And so God, I thank you for that reality. And God, I thank you for those of us who have called on you as our Lord and as our King. Would we worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for this salvation for you leading us to a new home in the kingdom where we will dwell forever. We worship you, Jesus. And so I really do pray, God, that these last two songs would not just be the, 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 the traditional, the, the ritual that we kind of do. Would we actually just try, even for a moment, to worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you are worthy of all things. We pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.